what's up everybody back again with another digital art cast thank you for tuning in it's always a pleasure to be here and bring you guys some awesome artists some awesome talks and some awesome information of the world of entertainment art um again back with uh, a regularity of episodes hopefully this one is landing again within a month of the last one or four weeks um again these should be coming thick and fast and uh hoping that you're learning a lot from them um, depending on the setup and the initial layout of how I'm structuring these episodes. If you guys always have any improvements or comments or people you want me to talk to particularly, remember you can just leave some uh, information in the comments um, and you can, uh, you can inform uh, and educate me to what you want to hear more of. Um, my guest today is someone I met um, not even a year ago, I think it was uh, teach you last, uh, when would that be now, September, I think September last year. And we've kind of been on and off chatting about getting him on the podcast, and he is here today. So uh, I'm going to attempt to say his name correctly. Um, today we have Felipe Teixeira. Okay, uh, nice. Did I get that right? Okay. See, all that all that practice leading up to it, and I finally got it right. <laughs> it's good, man. It's, it's good. You did it perfectly. It's fine. Yeah, man. Awesome. Cool. Um, thank you for coming on and speaking to me. It's oh, awesome that you are here. Yeah, of course. Um, so yeah, um, we bumped into each other, um, last year at THU, um, you were, of course, the yellow senpai, um, running about in your costume, that was, that was a whole other story, but, uh, which was, which ended in such an awesome way, um, with your ticket pretty much paid for this year's THU, which must have been a huge relief, because of obviously your circumstances changing recently, so. indeed, yeah. Yeah. It, it was yeah it was um it was unexpected uh it was deeply appreciated uh but it was um i would have done it anyway if even if they were not giving it the, as a prize on the oh, end but yeah. well you didn't know you were going to anyway so there wasn't really any motivation because you had no idea andre was going to just straight up be like oh yeah you're getting a ticket for next year so it, yeah um, yeah it, it, it's true it's true yeah and yeah. uh but it was so it was so damn fun, you know. Uh, we ha- we had I, I I ended up going to the to the apartment every single night, full of bruises, sweaty mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. as hell, and that suit yeah. things. It's yeah, <laughs> yeah. but it was so damn funny. Yeah, yeah. No, I think uh, I love the fact that Shivo, even though he is this like big time CEO, run this company for you know thirty years, is still able to get down and dirty with the rest of the artists there and have a good time and oh yeah kind of make fun of themselves so yeah i was actually well this was my third tju right okay yeah so but this was the first time i actually interacted with shuzo i okay. so i've i'd seen him on stage the doing the karaoke thing all the, the, the previous years and i i already noticed he was pretty much not the typical um ceo like mm-hmm. you just mentioned yeah but what what when i had this opportunity to interact with him yeah. uh the it was so cool to see it was pretty much really down to earth and just he said well the the first rule he said was was this is for fun okay mm-hmm. you guys just have to be the silliest possible and be improvise as much as much as you can because we actually didn't rehearse any of it. Okay, we had like the THU thing where we we did the sentai pose and 
he would be the T, uh, the other two guys would be the H, and me and the other guy would be the U. Yeah. So, and that, and we just came up with that thing in like five minutes, having a, a few glasses of wine. And that's it. Uh-huh. Everything else was just improv. Okay. Uh, yeah. But it was, it was, it was so fun. And, um, and it helped because Shuzu has a really good taste for homemade stuff. So yeah. <laughs> that's a whole nother story with the, yeah. with my bootleg process of bringing friends to Tieju and getting friends on Tieju. So. <laughs> oh, it's awesome, man. I mean, Shuzu definitely was, I had that moment where I had seen him about like the, cause it's the same thing when you go to these networking events, like, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You could be sitting next to somebody you know nothing about them, but they could be like you know this because obviously Shuzo is like this huge guy who's yeah. built this whole industry in Japan and has this massive you know Polygon Pictures is such a, a huge thing and it's been going for so long and yeah um, he was literally just I think it was I think it was actually the well, one of the last nights maybe the second last night um, before one of the jam sessions on stage when you know when I was up playing drums and stuff and and um, he was sitting at one of the the pallets and he was kind of sitting with his legs crossed on the floor eating food from the food truck thing. Yeah. And I was just sitting next to him and I got talking to him. I says, oh yeah, and who, what's your name? And, oh, Shuzo, nice to meet you. And um, I was saying to him, I says, oh, you, so are you located in, in the States or where are you working just now? He's like, oh no, man, I've got a studio in Japan. And I was like, all right, cool. And then as soon as he said Paul and pictures, I was like, oh shit, like I, I know of you guys. You like worked on Nexus Idonia, and it's like, oh yeah, but we've been working on loads of other stuff. And I was like, oh my god, and um, <laughs> but then I knew nothing really about you know Shizo, but he was just so humble to say, and he's sitting with me and talk with me for like half an hour before we jammed and yeah. uh, talk about his life, and it was really awesome. Yeah, so. and, and that's and that's one of the things. Uh, it's actually one of the things I really enjoy at THU, for example, because you and Shizo was the biggest example I've, I've uh, I, I had there, which is you, you have to talk because uh, at the end of the day, we're all just people, right? Yeah. No matter all your level of experience, your, your amount of know-how or what you accomplish on life, it's, it's just people. So, and he's just there, you know, it's, it's like, he's enjoying, um, he's enjoying just, okay. I, I was able to accomplish this. And now I'm just reaping the fruits of it on a good way. But he also um, gives some of it back. You know, he's 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 pretty okay with giving you feedback. He's pretty okay with talking about and sharing experience. I actually had the I had an experience with him when we're just talking about you know our backgrounds and stuff. We're you know doing in the dressing room, just changing for our clothes, mm-hmm. and I told him that. I think it was the Gonzalo that asked him that he, you're not the typical CEO, right? And he was telling, yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it's sometimes investors find it a bit weird, but, yeah. uh, but he, he, he told me that he likes to do things on a pretty carefree mode, you know, because you don't believe that life has to be taken on strain. And I told him that one of, when I was at college, I did this, uh, this thesis that the translation was um, the the title translation was uh, playing is not a lack of seriousness. So and it and it, and and we just we're talking about it a bit because he like I do believe that if you're playing or having fun with a concept, 
it helps you to get better ideas and better solutions than to try to approach it in a, on a more uh, sober perspective, you know, because you're the, oh, let's not use this or let's, let's not use that. And, and we, we, I, I'm, oh, I, I'm trying to get the good word, the, the, the adequate word. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we were shuffling around a few stories. I told him that uh, at the time when I, I did this, this thesis, um, some of the, and not only them, but it's still continued today. But usually that when you're getting in that brainstorm period, you know, the, the blue sky phase, you're uh, company the professionals for the for an art team or marketing team or whatever they would just seal this seal themselves in a shut in a, in a room that had all the walls just lined up with paper okay and then you're just scratching stuff and drawing stuff just the hum- most humongous ideas uh the most uh out there ideas and at one point they're just they stop and say okay what what did we come up with and then, and basically, they did just what made them laugh and made them feel. Um, obviously, not everything is usable because it's some some things are just way too much way out there. But yeah. you always end up with really good results. And and his career, I think, it's uh, it's a perfect example of how you can get successful with just thinking a bit out of the box, reinterpreting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like I would agree. I think that the more you can play with your work, especially when it comes to something that's so creative, if you treat it too much like a business, then oh, yeah. you lose that creative flair. And I've always said that when art meets industry, when you talk about art industry, you know, yeah. the two almost, you know, um, cancel each other out because you know the creative flair only really comes from playing imagination sometimes, and and when you element and introduce the element of. Um, deadlines and, and budgets and CEOs. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. But, but uh, yeah. those things actually have their own place, right? It's important. If you have a business, you have to, you know, you have overheads and you have uh, investors and you have every, all that thing, all those things that need to be taken care of to, you know, guarantee you're going to go forward with your life. But at the same time, uh, you can't really take life too seriously because, at the end of the day, you're, if you're going to do that, you're just going to do a rehash. You know, you're yeah. going to rehash everything. It's just, oh, just put different texture on it, change it to color green, and that let's call it a day. So yeah. it, it's 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 a problem. Um, and uh, for example, I, I had really good teachers at school from a really young age that mm. always taught taught me that uh, if you can't make fun about something, then you can't tell a good story. Because you can't, yeah. you're just being. Oh no, it's it's said like this, and we're gonna play it like this because it's the safe way to go. But safety can get you killed. Probably yeah, it's too. Risks. Yeah, it's too by the numbers. Like if you if you yeah. play it too too close to your chest, then yeah, you, you can find that things get too overwhelmed, and then it ends up a mess because of that, and then you can't kind of go back and repair it. And I think. One of the best examples I've seen of this was when I watched the. I mean, it was probably one of the original inspirations for me was watching the the Double Fine Adventure, which was the guys at Double Fine Studios making um, the point and click adventure they made, uh, Broken Age. When oh, yeah, yeah. They done, they done the Kickstarter, and mm-hmm. they had episodes where it was what they called the Art Jam, where Scott Campbell and a couple of different guys like Doug Chang came across, and um, 
and done you know uh, or no Peter Peter Chan sorry done a uh, a, a whole day of just basically drawing and painting and putting things on the wall and and there was no like expectation like you had a general guideline but there was no set rules of it has to be this yeah. tall or wide and they were just come up with the wildest ideas like people who flew on combs and were combing the land like the grass was like hair and people walking in the clouds and these massive monsters that couldn't exist but were so cool to look at and um yeah like I, I think that's a better approach almost to um making really awesome concept art um than you know like you said playing it by the numbers and you know has to look like this or he has to have two arms only and you know one spinal cord and all this kind of shit so Here, here's the thing uh at one point you have to come to terms with the, the 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 basic concept that it's really hard to somebody to create something really new because the way creativity and knowledge work is you build it up from something that you've seen before and experienced before right but at the same time uh if you probably can't really create anything new you know you're basically telling the same stories over and over but you can mess around a bit with it so the more you play less by the book the more likely you can create something that's um that you somebody can point pinpoint as oh this is from these guys you know it's something like well everybody you know there's like a a a buttload of uh, rpgs out there right story but Bethesda uh, created some of the most memorable RPGs from you know from our time period, right? Yeah. And and they did it extraordinarily. They they had, and they did it not only in uh, in futuristic styles. They did it on you know historically like medieval medieval yeah. From Skyrim to Fallout, there was, yeah, a, exactly. there was a whole genre exactly. change. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but they made it their thing. Um, so, and yeah, the style of building worlds that was very unique to um, Bethesda to to their their take on like um, open worlds and lands you can explore and how to make them interesting and um, while still having fun while still not making it too rigid or too by the numbers. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Exactly. So, so then. Was that something you applied when? Because you've you've worked. I mean, just before because you recently went freelance, or well, you're you're kind of by contract, but um, you were with Miniclip for like yeah, I I, I, was, I was there uh, for seven years and seven months. Uh, I was mostly doing um, well. Miniclip is a, a mobile game company. Yeah, so I was mostly assigned to their. Um, uh, to their uh, number one game, which was which is uh, Eight Ball Pool, so yeah. I was in charge of doing practically, uh, you know, all the pool tables and all the pool queues, which were basically where people actually spent their money on. Okay. Uh, so I was in charge of doing that. I did <laughs> pretty much over I don't know five hundred or six hundred queues. So I I had I have some experience in reinventing the wheel, so but and before that I I actually ended up working um, full time for two uh, other game companies. They were Portuguese okay. game companies okay. for six, three years each, I think. And then I did some also some freelancing for you know indie studios and and whatnot. Yeah. So, yeah. I, so yeah, and then so how how did 
mini clip come about then? Because they're probably, for when, you know, maybe even that part of Portugal, but they're probably one of the bigger studios for the, the kind of the stories they tell or the games they have. They have quite a bigger presence or are they kind of just seen as a small studio in, in Portugal or are they... Well, in Portugal, well, they're big. They're basically the biggest game company in Portugal. Um, okay. So they're they're multinational. We also have here um, Marmalade Studios. So they okay. are yeah. mobile, uh, but they're they're smaller sized. Uh, and yeah. Portugal, I think they, we have at the moment like two hundred people. I think I, when, when I joined the, when I joined the studio, there were like uh, twenty people working there. And then it grew to like it exploded for two hundred or so in the past wow. seven years. It was just huge. It was really two hundred. Two hundred people for a studio is still like I would say massive. It's quite a big studio. Yeah, yeah. In in Portuguese standards, definitely. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, when I was at um, Axis doing my time there, like they were just expanding and and moving to a new office. But yeah, I'm sure that's they were close to two hundred. Um, for cinematic studio again, but yeah, I'd say it's still a a, a bigger studio. Um, I mean, no compared to maybe something like Ubisoft or you know the yeah, bigger definitely. guys who have like hundreds and hundreds of people working for them. But um, but then of course they're working across multiple titles. If you're just having maybe two hundred people in one game, it's then it's a bigger thing. So because Miniclip to me, when I say that name, I think the one game I had played was the Jetpack Joyride. Is that not one of their? Their oh, IPs. It's not, it's not. It's not one of ours. <laughs> it's right. Okay. It's fine. It's perfect. It's it's okay. Uh, yeah. No, but uh, I don't think we ever had any partnership with them. I think we at one point probably we had those cross promotion games. Uh, right. Okay. Uh, there was this. Yeah, I think we had one. We they they, they promote something in our games. Okay. And then we promote something of our games in their game. All right, I'm looking them up now. It was it was Half Brick Studio. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to remember even where where Miniclip where they came in, but I'm sure I have at one point experience because I know this under the studio. Like when I looked at that, I wasn't like who the fuck are Miniclip. I was like, oh, I've heard of them. I know who that that studio is. So um, yeah, it, it, yeah. It, it, honestly, it it started in 2010 because the mobile division was created and funded here in Portugal. Um, so they started. Uh, we started doing some of the adaptations of a few games that uh, that were already successful on the website, right. and then we started developing our own base stuff. Uh, we had at the time that I got in, I don't know, I think it was Extreme Skater. Okay. Uh, we had. Uh, oh well, this is a while. Oh, Fragger. We had. Oh, okay. Fragger. Yeah, and I, I ended up my one of my first assignments was doing the last mission pack for Fragger. Then I okay. then I started doing um, enemies for a game that we had was uh, Monster Island. Okay. Yeah, so I, I created all the, the the secondary characters and animations for the characters. Then we started doing Hambo, which oh uh, yeah, I've seen bits and pieces of that advertised online. Yeah, yeah, and then we started doing we started working on uh, on a eight ball pool for mobile and there was a, a bit of a lengthy process because it involved a lot of um server stuff multiplayer stuff so it was a really really big project and it ended up paying off so yeah, that's yeah. Good. so is, is that was that the aim when you kind of first got into um like doing art in general was 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 that a, an end goal with working in games maybe specifically mobile or was it the game that was, or the sorry, the job that you felt was there at the time you could do, or? 
Well, I think it's a big, a bit of a mix of everything because I remember being in 1992 or 93, mm-hmm. I was reading a magazine called Megascore, which, which was a, a Mega Drive based a Sega magazine. Okay. And I had a Mega Drive at the time, a Genesis for the Americans. Uh, me too. Me too. Yeah, I had the Genesis as well. Yeah. yeah. It's, it, I love that thing to death. So yeah. I, I started buying the, the, the magazines at the time. And I saw this um, this story, an article they made about uh, Golden Axe 2. And they showed people doing in the, st- the studio all the concepts and drawings and everything else. And I said, wait, these guys are getting paid to do this? And I was like 12 and I said, shit, I want to do this. <laughs> this is what yeah. I oh, Can I swear? Um, I'm not sure. Oh, no, of course. Oh, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. we, okay. we, we also, for, for the people who are fragile, we've got the sensor button as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Uh, so, uh, so I said, oh, fuck it, I want to do this. And so my, my goal was uh, when I was, you know, ended up going to secondary school and start learning, uh, getting a more uh, dedicated training on arts. Yeah. So my goal was I want to do comics. Oh, okay. Well, like um, everybody, like everybody yeah, yeah, really starts that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, 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 what, it's what we do. So it's 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 it, those are stepping points. So I want to do art. I want to do comics. I want to do illustration, and I want I want to figure out a way of doing video games. Yeah. So I, I I ended up being kind of lucky because at the time the the, the, the there was this publisher in Portugal uh, called Queen of Comics. And uh, they started doing things, and this was about 2005. Okay. I, I just graduated, graduated from college in 2004. I've been working okay. in advertising since 1998, so before going into college. And I, I got to a point, I said, I, I hate working on advertising. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm tired of doing, and specifically because uh, the dev- development cycles in Portugal are really, really, really small. So, because it's a small market, so you have to keep pushing stuff to become profitable. So it's, it's, it, it, the stress levels go just up, up to, through the roof. So at one point, I started doing comics and and doing illustration for school books and different types of stuff. And at the same time, there was this. Um, it was not a. It's not uprising, some sort of a revolution in technology in Portugal. And small groups of people started to developing their own studios. So this was before mobile. Uh, we were doing things for uh, Big Fish games and all, all, that, all those types of publishers. So I started in a the, in the studio called Game Invest, which is basically a mother company that had, you know, that sponsored smaller studios to basically three people studios or or one man studios to with resources and projects so they can start working so i started working on games and animation there with uh, i started doing concept art even voice acting for uh, an animated series that we had at the time and things just started growing up at one point uh, after 3 years i decided okay i need to try something different and so I spent a while as a freelancer doing artwork for indie studios. And then another studio opened up called uh, Biodroid. So I, I spent another three years there. And there was when I started doing, we did um, 
uh, browser-based games like uh, you know uh, sandbox games where you have to go and explore. Uh, but mostly, they were advert games, you know. So yeah. it was based for we had the, for a, for a big Portuguese bank called uh, Besh. Um, so we, there was they were investing a lot in ecology and sustainability. So we made a game that you have to go through a natural park, different types of animals. We had a screen or uh, some sort of tablet, a futuristic tablet like a tricorder, where you had to register all the species and the plants and animals. Uh, so I did a lot of stuff there, but also some mobile gaming. The first game I worked was uh, Billabong Surf Trip. And uh, at one point, you know, I heard that Miniclip was uh, funding, uh, opening a studio here in Portugal. I said, well, okay, the mobile studio. And my thought process was my goal was not to go to work on mobile. But I think uh, my, my, my thought process was, okay, so it's a big company. So it's not a Portuguese company. So they have studios in several parts of the world. So I can learn a lot from that from, from a business standpoint. And at the same time, I believe that Portugal needed um, something of that dimension in here in Portugal. Uh, so for the country, you know, to, to help the industry bloom. And that's what I ended up doing. I, I joined the, the company. Uh, it was really funny because I went there to, to, to the interview with a friend of mine. So I stayed on the on the lobby playing a game first so, so I could relax before, you know, going to talk with the CEO and everything else. And so my friend went first. And after an hour or so, he came out. And uh, the, the front desk person signaled me to go in. And I said, as soon as I put my foot inside the the office i just heard like 20 people just screaming my name and so the the funniest part was i looked around and almost every single person in that room i have worked with them in the past so i I basically got the job as soon as i got got through the door and um so i stayed there for seven years i i i have a lot of my own dna on there on the on the older product and I think it was it was a really good project for me because I learned a lot and allowed me to do a lot of different things. Uh, but at one point, and I this came to terms with last year, I needed something different. You know, I need something. Uh, I I don't say like working on AAA or something because I I think I'm more adequate for a, a mid level studio because you know the thing is. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, you say you say that, but then the stuff you have been putting out recently, I feel, has definitely been a level up from the previous stuff. I think you've been doing, like, I think even just the the draw this thing your own style stuff that you were posting, like that was again a level up. I feel from where you were even um, like a year ago, because um, okay. because looking back on your stuff, you can see the times and dates when you've been posting stuff, and yeah, like um, I I even thought that. Like when you done the, I'm trying to remember the one. It was it was from um, the art by. Uh, oh, it was like the pink haired monster thing that you drew, um, and with the purple skin. You know the one I'm talking oh, about. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, writing your and, style thing. Yeah, like basically, and and when I looked at the 
the one previous, it's no insult to the other artists, but I feel like that was like a before and after, almost like, you know, the level up postings where, like, this is where I was last year, this is where I am now. Yeah. Um, because the one you drew was, like, was so good. Well, thank you. Uh, I'll buy you a beer next year, Jew. <laughs> you owe you, me one anyway, man. I got you on the podcast. That was the deal. No, man, it's, it, it, I feel that people who limit themselves by saying, like, oh, I could only ever do, you know, mobile. I could only ever, you know, I, I would say your stuff is, is, you know, as good as anybody's stuff to work with in AAA. I mean, I think with AAA, when you talk about, like, a level of quality, um, I've seen some guys who work in AAA, and, and it's not a badness. Like it's it's just that literally, you know, I've seen some guys' portfolios who work on these massive franchises, and yeah, their stuff isn't. It's not a, like a level that's unachievable. I've never looked at some of these stuff and said like, "Oh, you never, you could never get that good." So, you know, like people can always get better. I think it is just literally that sometimes you'll find the people the people I've met in AAA are the people who will constantly push themselves to get better and it's always a constant evolution of their style and their technique and implementing new tools and um but yeah i would never say that there's a, a thing or a, a plateau or a level that you can never achieve and everybody's a, everybody's capable of it yeah i know but but i have a, a there's a logic behind it so it's okay. not that i can't achieve it uh-huh. it's because we portuguese people have a problem Okay. And I'll, I'll explain it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there's, there's a logic behind it. And it's okay, not about cool. self-esteem. The thing is, from a really young age, uh, we're practically ingrained culturally to be able to do everything. Okay? okay? Okay. So I remember, for example, when I started doing comics, and I, and I was talking about with the, the publisher, and they said, so we're going to need the pencils for this week because we have to send it for inking the other week and the other week I, we, we can do colors. And I said, why well, I can do inks. I said, yeah. you can do inks. Yeah, I can do inks. I can do colors too. Because what you do everything. Yeah. Uh, I just don't do text because I hate working with text. So, but so when I say I, I, I'm thinking about a middle, middle level studio, it's because I have a distinct idea. And for example, this happened with mini clippers. It became bigger. Uh, you're you become very compartmentalized, so you do one specific thing. And I like to do different types of things. I can do you know concept art today. I can do user interface another day. I can do um, actually. I want to start doing three D now also. And I also want to do pretty much everything. You know. I had this really interesting conversation um, with uh, Supercell uh, last year, Jew, and the guy. <laughs> it was a really cool interview because the guy really enjoyed my art, but at the same time, he told me I, I'm having a really hard time in trying to figure out where I can place you within the stru structure of the company, because you have all different types of skills, and. I couldn't choose one specifically because I I like diversity, so it's mostly um, my end goal. Um, so I can do that on a middle level studio, but not in a. I don't think I can do it in a triple A studio. But then I feel that that sometimes that's a a thing. Could you even talk about like specialization versus generalization? Like, how do you feel that as a thing nowadays with artists? Hmm. Okay. So my idea is. If you're starting up 
the more general you are, to, up to a point, obviously, uh, it's good because it and it's, and because for the most part, you know, when you're starting up, you don't exactly jump to a huge tier studio on average, but it, it helps you to f- to fill in gaps where people need you to fill gaps. So it's easier to build up uh, a solid ground for your career development. But at one point, I think you do have to specialize on something, which is true. So I, I want to, I uh, for example, I just told you that I want to learn 3D. Okay. But I want to learn 3D because I think nowadays it's a tool that's, or depending on the program, but it's, it's a type of tool that has been more and more streamlined through the years. So the learning curve is not that complex. So it's something you can use as part of your process, even though, well, in my case, I'm more specialized in 2D art or in concept art, but I can use it to, and it's not unheard of. You know, you have uh, lots of artists that use, they build basic 3D structures that can do paint overs to, to help to advance on concept art or whatever. But I believe that, Specialization is something that's really, really required in studios that have a, you know, a, a larger format because it's it's a pipeline. You know, it's so you're specializing in doing this, so you're going to focus on this until because the next person is going to be specializing in other stuff. So it's it 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 creates. Um, I th- I believe it creates. A, a lot less back and forth, you know, iterating stuff, uh, because it everything is really, really well segmented. So personally, I think that to be the more polyvalent, the the more diverse you are, the more um, you can grow as an artist. And it's also not uncommon to have artists that they already have their like the top of their careers and. Uh, they're doing their thing. They have their own niche, but at the same time, on their free time, they're exploring other technologies, other other skill sets, and not necessarily because they want to use it for a cash revenue stream or something, but because they want to keep growing. And I think it's something innate. You know, I, I I've never seen an artist that, in one way or another, is not trying to evolve. Okay, it's 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 really it's ingrained to us. You know. Um, we're, we're, because we're all about the exploration and experimentation and the curiosity. I say, "Ooh, I didn't know you could do that," and you're just trying to figure out how to get there. Like you said, you know, you never seen a piece of art, and you look at it and say, "Oh, I can't do that." You said, "I can get there. I need to figure out why and how." Um, but yes, personally, I advise my advice, and I I also teach for for. I, I'm not sure if you're aware of this. I, I just finished lecturing a class. And one of the things uh, I uh, did for this semester was to specifically tell to my students that the more you know, the best route you're going to be because you're going to be more flexible to adjust to any type of project requests. Another another example, if you're going to be, uh, for example, they're going for a vacancy for a concept artist. Right, they just speak about the, your two D skills, your illustration skills, you know, your rendering skills, your know how about light values, uh, perspective, uh, depth, whatever. 
but at the one point, you're in, in, the, in the interview, and, this, and the, the the hiring manager is looking at your CV and said, "Oh, wait, you know, you know, three D, or you have some experience." In it. Yeah, I did some. I've been playing around a bit. And I, I've worked a lot with people that are doing uh, modeling, character modeling, and level, you know, creating levels for games and everything else. So, and at that point, the person knows that, oh, wait, so you know about this type of pipeline. Yeah, I'm I'm aware of the pipeline. So this becomes a plus because you are you know how to prevent problems before they happen because you know how things are done. Um, I remember when I was doing, uh, when I started off working with the, the group of animators, I also have the background from the performing arts because my dad is a, a director of one of the theater in the biggest theaters in Portugal, and I, I was I was I was really young, so I, I used to go backstage and see the the actors rehearsing and doing voice exercises and doing posturing, you know, to to figure out how they move around, how they present themselves to the audience, and at the same time, I used to see the 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 seamstresses working on the the costumes for the for the plays and everything else so that really got me ingrained so i I pulled back from all this experience when i started working with the animators and i did all the same exercises that those actors did when i was trying to discuss the scenes how they're presenting themselves and all and at one point i was uh side by side with the with the with the animators exactly they just need. Oh, they just told me. Oh, I need to do a, a keyframe for this shot, and I said I get exactly what they needed, uh, because you know I had the experience. That's it. So it's never a problem to know more. Never a problem. And and I think I was definitely the same when you know. Um, I approached my teaching point as well, you know, and I say teaching, you know, what could I teach? But then I had been through the four years. I had been lucky enough that I'd got, you know, the position and access to do the internship. So, and I'd been going to industry events, you know, I'd been talking with industry pros for three years, you know, so I had, you know, more than your average student. So the things I kind of bled back was the very same things about how, um, you know, you have uh, almost a tool belt, on you at all times and the more tools you can add to that belt then of course the greater the chance of someone wanting to take you into battle or wanting to take you into a studio to do a project because like you said 3d um because there's purists right and yeah. i remember there was a, a talk i actually watched off gumroads uh i think i bought it way way back when i first you know was getting into university and it was um shadow safari's um the law of increasing awesomeness i think he called mm-hmm. it and it's how he talks about you can you know you can use your purest tools and you can study and do environments by hand and use pencil and marker and, and paint yeah. but then the more tools you assert to that which is like photo bashing which is 3d which is you know whatever world machine all this kind of stuff you know it, it, you then ascend at a, a quicker rate than most people would typically um and know that you shouldn't draw or shouldn't learn to draw like drawing is always i believe the well now especially and, and it's something i've avoided but it's the foundation that everything else we build around so if you can draw or you can draft in a way that you can you know convey an idea that in itself is a powerful tool yeah and something you can build on yeah ex- exactly um 
for, for example, uh, I had uh, the interview with the, the Lego guys uh, last year at TA2. So one of the things that they really enjoyed on watching my 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 portfolio was how how I could get to do different types of styles and uh, drawing techniques uh, really quickly on my um, on my sketchbook. You know, I, I I would draft something really quickly, and I would always be carrying my my sketchbook around. I actually got to a point where I. This is weird, but I have always with me two or three sketchbooks. Uh, I have two Android tablets, and one is mostly a backup, so I can <laughs> a digital sketchbook. Uh, I'm actually sketching while I'm talking with you uh, oh, on, oh. My, on my sketchbook. Nice. Uh, so, and 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 the best thing about it is, and it's it really funny because I, I my my degree was on uh, graphic design. And drawing was not encouraged. Oh. It was definitely not encouraged. I, oh. I had me and a couple of other uh, classmates from different, uh, how do you call it? It's not, well, the, they were not from the same class, but the same uh, year. Okay. And uh, we were like the outcasts because we liked comics and we liked to draw stuff. And it was it was interesting. And one of them is working, I think, Ninja Theory? No. All right, okay. okay. Well, well he, he he also went to into the games thing. I I went to also to games and animation. Right. But most of the others are not professional designers at the point at the moment. Yeah. But yeah. but it was something that was for me was really confusing because you know drawing is like the basic for everything you know if you want to learn how to visualize something if you want to understand uh uh something in three dimensions you have it's good the drawing is good because it's it's exploratory you can do it really quickly without without major fuss um so yeah and one of the things and taking back you know uh, as a segue for for this topic when we talked about the 3D tools being more streamlined nowadays. Mm-hmm. I remember when I, my first year at TAGU, I don't remember wh- who's, who the talk was, uh, but they mentioned that at the time, 3D artists were mostly just technical guys. You know, they had, they didn't work on the creative tools. Mm-hmm. So a few companies were trying to circumvent that, taking them to drawing classes so they can think more as artists and less as the guy that's building boxes and and doing you know making sure the meshes are right and just the articulations are right so and and this like it helped me a lot and i'm i'm pretty sure that it gave me a pretty heads up uh on on my creative uh process and career because one of the things i did uh i was 17 or 18 i think when I worked for my first job at uh, an advertising company, I took my sketch portfolio. And funny enough, my first professional job was a storyboard for a porn advert. So <laughs> it was pretty, uh, it was pretty cringy. And, uh, but it was also a very good um, professional experience. Okay. 
okay. uh, I would not do it again, but <laughs> but it was fun because I was ex- because in the in the ranks of the company and it was considered one of the best companies in Portugal. Uh, I think it's, I think it still is, and they won prizes uh, not just in Portugal but outside the country. But that's interesting um, to us, though, because a lot of the I mean, reading this article where a lot of Japanese anime artists before they worked in big time anime shows, they would actually cut their teeth on hentai, so stuff from Japanese yeah. born. So, yeah. like, yeah, it, art is art, and the, uh, industry is industry. So, yeah, it doesn't really matter where it comes from. Yeah, it, it's not it. Well, we ha- we all have the, those. Um, those taboo issues where oh you shouldn't be working on that and it's actually true that many artists have a pseudonym or an alternate alternate identity for when they're doing safe work and doing not so safe work oh man the hardcover stuff that spiridon has been basically pushing is like incredible i'm so glad that he got that book out because oh my god I, I know, and I was not expecting it to grow as much as it did, but I'm really happy it did because it 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 points out that you know there's something that needs to be worked on, and and there's actually uh, a will to see it happen. You know, it's it's really um, you know, for example, I, I I heard at one point they were trying to censor Michelangelo's David. Uh, statue because it had a penis and it's it's not supposed to be showing a penis and it's like oh my god we just regressed hundreds of years in history yeah it's like the dark ages all over again it's like yeah 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 Yeah. Yeah. i I was actually uh reading um saw an an article as we're uh, that considered that we are practically going into a modern medieval time oh god because well and if you if you see the, the the human human history from a perspective you know from a top down perspective you yeah, see everything yeah. comes in cycles you know yeah of course uh, so war there's government then there's plague and uh, or, uh, yeah there's always like these these parts of the, the experience where something major happens something major changes so yeah, it's, yeah. you're right it goes in cycles yeah so it's i i can understand that it's happening it's like growing pains you know yeah. You you have a child and the child um, starts to learn to to move around in their environment and to you know interact with the things in their environment, and then they start to develop other skills. You know that when you're mastered bit, you know how to walk and to touch and to grab and to throw and whatnot. Yeah. Then you start to working on the other aspects where that are your inner aspects, your personality, yeah. your soft skills, and everything else. And then you get to a point, a third stage, where you understand you have no limits. You can do everything. Then you go to work because I can do this, I can do that. Oh my God, the world is my oyster. And then you get to a point, I said, ah, shit, I overdid it. Then you just, you start to scale down and say, okay, let's streamline this a bit so I can see where I can better focus on whatever I can do best. Then that's where you reach maturity. So uh, if you consider humanity, not just as a group of, organisms but like a massive super organism we're practically in our teens now so we're reaching that point where we can do everything but uh in the understanding of knowledge is it's it's not that linear so the thing is there's a problem because uh there's a and and this is a my disclaimer uh this is a personal perspective okay um you're not endorsing it in any way, so you're safe. 
No, no, uh, no. Just say whatever you want, man. I don't give a shit. <laughs> okay, it's fine. Uh, but I think that um, we're living on the dark side of democracy right now. What I mean is, you have uh, it's it's it, democracy is the right to have your own perspective, your own free will, yeah. your own freedoms. Exactly. Okay. Of yeah. But the thing is, most people don't understand that. And this is a problem also due to the lack of proper investment in education. So they don't understand that your freedom ends when the other person starts. Okay. And, and there's so, and they have also have this misinterpretation that, well, my perspective is valid as a citizen, right? So it means that my lack of culture is as valid as your head full of knowledge. If not more, yeah. So it, it's not a problem of ill will. It's a it's a it's a problem of lack of interpretation, contextualization. So, for example, in I in I remember that in 1998 or something, as I was saying, "Yay, we got probes on Mars. We're taking all these amazing pictures and then we're, all this stuff." Yeah. Fast forward 20 years, and the scientists are saying, "For the nth time." The Earth is round. Okay, so and and the the and with the what happens is with the the boom of the 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 communication era, where we have like I'm I'm having this stream talk with you. You're oh, sure. you're, you're you're in Scotland. Scotland, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're in Scotland. I'm in Portugal, and we're talking live. Okay, just and 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 the, the things started moving so fast that the society didn't have time to coalesce into it so uh, because there i I remember talking about the of an artist's perspective when i was younger uh if i wanted to get comics or some sort of artist art related book i had to go to a library i had to go to um a bookshop something a magazine shop uh i remember when we started having internet and it was around 97. Also, we started having the 50, 60, 56k modems. Yeah. And I started, it was not as polished as it was, it is today. But I remember going to sites and seeing pictures of all these amazing artists I've never heard before. Okay. And I said, fuck, if, if this, if I had access and, and we start and nowadays, we have YouTube with tutorials and everything else. So, oh, if if you if I, I was starting to think, dude, if I had all this uh, knowledge available to me when I was, uh, I don't know, fourteen or fifteen, when I always I had all this youthful energy to go and learn and do stuff, and you spend nights without sleeping just working on stuff, which I I used to do with more traditional materials and with all the few art books I could get my hands on because somebody had a cousin in, in Switzerland or or in the, or in the USA that would send them stuff. Yeah. Uh, and and if I had all this knowledge, because I had the what would be called the proper mindset to interpret them, you know, because I was focused, I was focused in in a specific goal, and I understand what I could take from every single piece of information where I can polish it and integrate it in my own work. So what happens today is we have all this access, but people aren't trained into Wait, how I can integrate this in my own working structure? So the the, the class I was uh, 
lecturing uh, and finished this semester was uh, research research techniques, which is basically I was teaching them how to uh, give proper solid grounds in how to prepare a project, you know, how to make your best art decisions or yeah. to you know, understand the market, you know? Yeah, of and, and, uh, and before that, I used to do, because I was part of the Mini Clip Ambassadors project where we were going to universities and teach, you give lectures and seminars. I, I used to do a lot of stuff on visual visual narrative and concept conceptualization. Right, okay. Uh, and I talked about how to cross uh, reference information and we we just analyzed movies or specific scenes of movies for a few hours and that it was a really dynamic thing process because I I'd question them they question me back and then we go back and forth until we came up with the answers yeah. and 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 I noticed that they're not really used to uh, you know cross reference information and it scares me a lot because you never had all this amount of knowledge but you have very little um, preparation on how to deal with it. So, I mean, I mean, there's definitely there's a hundred things to kind of pick apart there and, and talk about. But I mean, I would say definitely I am the same. Where it's almost been like an overwhelming nightmare because when I first started, I was the same. I was like, cool. I really love drawing. I really love characters. I would love to be able to do something with that. Um, and then all of a sudden I was like, oh, cool, you know, comics is a thing. Because comics was, um, comics was a kind of, uh, what, what's the word I'm trying to say? Comics was a, a thing that was very familiar to everybody. It was yeah. very familiar that people understood that, you know, if you've drawn for a career, the only one that really is readily available is comic books. Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know, like you said, you know, you were reading these magazines where it was like, oh, my God, you know, um, we can now make um, art for video games, for movies. This is a thing. This is something that we can do. So then when the boom hit, and I'm talking like I left my job um, in 2011, you know, more, mm-hmm. more like 2012, and then I was kind of like, well, what next? Well, I don't know much about what I should be doing, so how about I go and, you know, uh, look into doing... Um, uh, university, I can do art university or some kind of course when game design, and that would then cover what I want to do. But then I'd done, you know, my four years, my five years in education, then came out of it, and I was like, fuck, I could have sat in an online course for 20 hours and learned the same stuff. So yeah. it's, it's because there's so much information now, and there's almost like a boom of art technology, you know. Yeah. No one was a thing for years. Then I suddenly learned Squid was there. Then there was Cube Brush. Then there was something else and something else and some. And then YouTube exploded. All these. I mean, I remember listening to Modern Day James not too long ago talking to um, Circo, Circo, uh, or Sikra, Sikra is one of the guys in in YouTube, and he was like, "I have no formal training, and there's so much stuff online. Like you could teach yourself anything now, including art, and you don't have to go to any formal training or, 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 you know. But, but then." as much as I agree with that, which is totally, I feel is totally true and valid. You could actually, you know, he says like, um, um, Mark, is it Mar- no Marco, but you, but the, 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 I mean, the, the name of the, the artist I'm trying to talk about, uh, it's Marco or something, isn't it? The, the, the painter. No, it's, uh, yeah. Marco Bucci, Bucci, Marco Bucci. Am I saying that right? M-A-R-C-O-B-U-C-C-I. I'm sure he is, uh, yeah, Bucci. yeah, 
like uh, uh, Secret was saying that you know Marco's putting stuff out that like people would pay for and you can get for free on YouTube. Yeah. So he's like, that's totally valid, and I totally agree with him. But at the same time, trying to discern what you want to do with that information and how to take it in, because you know we get to a point and be like, oh, I could do comics, but now I can do concept. Wait, yeah. now I can also do three D, or I could do VFX, or I could do editing, or I could... for me, it's been difficult to actually nail down what I want to do and. It's yeah. took me to like this point because even in, in November, I was like, okay, I'm going to do some 3D stuff. But now no, I'm leaving for Japan. Um, <laughs> I'm now like, I want to get back to my fundamentals. I want to yeah. get back to drawing. I want to be doing concepts, specifically probably characters, yeah. um, focusing on that. And then maybe even eventually in years to come, possibly even do 3D characters or collectibles. Um, because, you know, I think it's something that I learned too late, but like, even if you start your career in one aspect of the industry, you can always shift to doing something else. Yeah. So, yeah. All, all the knowledge you have is transversal. Yeah. yeah. It, it's it's all just a matter of tools that you're going to use next. Um, and, and the thing is, um, if you go to, you know, many of the great names in, you know, creative history, most of them are just late bloomers. You know, the guys that ended up just making it when they were 40s, some in some cases, I mean, they're their fifties or sixties, because at one point, for some reason, the circumstances are right, and then the knowledge you have meets the circumstance it needs, mm-hmm. and it just booms out. So, you you can't really plot a process. For example, me, I, I you know, like we discussed, I I, I decided to take a, a break of a year or so just to mostly improve my skills. But at, what I'm figuring out now is not necessarily on improving skills. I'm finally putting them to paper because <laughs> I ended up getting those skills because of all the people I've interacted with, all the tutorials I've watched, everything. Else. It was w- working on the subconscious part. So you're, you're just crystallizing it and allowing yourself to figure out, oh, I know how to do this. Okay. Uh, so it's... And it's not, I, I actually had a specific plan, but then I learned that sometimes you just need to go with the flow and not worry about planning too much. You have to, sure. you know, you have to, you know, create your constraints because you can't go overboard because of either money or because of time, because you, you have an end goal you want to reach. For example, for me, it's to get ready to the next EHU, for example. But at the same time, I want to have fun in my process. You know, I want to enjoy what I'm doing. So maybe the original plan got sidetracked because I've, I've recovered something that I was not able to do for a long time, which was to really work on my things. And so I'm I'm just going, I'm doing, for example, I, I did that Viking Jedi thing that I'm, I'm working on. And I started doing that and I ended up with that result, which I'm actually polishing and giving a proper paint job on it. And I started looking at it and I said, oh, I can use this to do something else. And I'm going to sh- later show it to you It's it's it, when I when I get it done. But nice. so I, I just allow it to, you know, get its own momentum and f- get the shape it needs and get the structure it needs. So I, okay, this is something I ne- needed to do. This is not how I was going to do it initially, but I think it came out best for doing it this way instead of doing the other way I was thinking about. So I, I, th- I think you have to go and 
be agile with yourself for most of the yeah. time. You can't be so precious with a lot of your artwork because um, people will get so finicky about line work or colour or yeah, composition. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. You just have to really throw a lot of that out the window and say, ah, oh, fuck it. You know, I've done this bit. It didn't turn out the way or there's something I could improve. Great, let's go to the next one and let's improve and do something different. Um, because, I mean, there was even the point, you know, when I was early starting on, this was early, early, and I was almost afraid to, like, touch my... Like, I'd get a brand new sketchbook and I'd be like, oh, this is, this is, this is great. And I just would not touch it because I was so afraid of that ruining the pages. Yeah. Oh, my God. But then yeah. one of my friends done something um, ages ago in class and it was hilarious where... I was like, oh, look at this new sketchbook and it's lovely and pristine white paper and oh, I didn't know what to draw on it. And then I think it had been like a week or something. I saw him draw it and then I, and he was like, oh, dude, like, give me the sketchbook and I'll draw something. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Because I knew, I knew he could draw. So I was like, okay. So he just got the first two pages and he got a, a he was using a, a Sharpie straight away, like a big kind of yeah. thick Sharpie. And I was like, I wonder what he's going to draw. Maybe something inky. And he just basically like drew all these massive fucking squiggly lines across the first two pages and i was like no <laughs> and he's like see it's ruined now so you don't have to get a shit just draw something in it <laughs> i was like oh, oh, oh but like he was right like i was so precious yeah. about my sketchbook so yeah that, uh, that's actually a rule i apply to my own things now which is the basically first few pages are just scribbles that's it i don't even care anymore i'm getting old i don't care <laughs> I just yeah, want to one, you know? I'm the same because I left my job at 28 and like that's me 33 now so it's been a solid five years and I think once you pass 30 especially it's just like ah oh, fuck this man like you know people don't accept me for who I am then you know fuck them but, um, but yeah it's the same with sketchbooks it's like it should be a tool for learning it's no there to be it's not your portfolio right it's not something you're yeah. going to hand to an art director and say this is my work um, that's the stuff you put in art station that's the stuff you gather up but then however uh-huh. however I recommend for you guys, especially if you're going to interviews, and mm-hmm. uh, to have your sketchbook on you. And one, this, one, one of maybe your prettier sketchbooks, though. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, you, yeah, yeah, the nicest one. Okay. Yeah. The, the one that does not have spaghetti falling off of it, but of course, yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, I, I've noticed it, and if people are actually excited about your work, yeah, and yeah. if you said, well. If do you guys like sketch? Is it well? You have your sketchbook there. See, yeah. Please let me see it, and then we just. I ended up having you know interviews that were supposed to last only like twenty minutes, to go right. for an hour and a half, because oh. I I pull up the sketchbook and people were just talking about I, oh this is even better because this is I, this is shows the processes and how the your screwed up mind works and everything else and so the chat continues and it builds up. So uh, the sketchbook is also a good thing to always carry you around so. i mean it also depends on what job you're going for right because if oh, you yeah, were yeah. going for even like a storyboard artist or, or some pre-vis you know uh, vis dev stuff your sketchbook might even be more important than the finished pieces you produce so yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so yeah i mean there's a hundred different ways to to just kind of go out. Yeah. yeah but there's there's all these different avenues and and of course and yeah i think just always try and put your best foot forward but don't be afraid to fail and grow and and yeah. seek that that next challenge and, and and push yourself and like you know with with felipe like yourself you know you could have easily stayed with mini clip probably till you didn't want to draw anymore which would have been maybe when you died but yeah but like yeah you were like no I'm, i want to be uncomfortable and it was like uh you know jamaro kindred right from blizzard yeah, yeah so yeah. jamaro jamaro is like a prime example like he he basically invented a website called I want to work for blizzard.com and he got a, a job from that by posting work on it and sending it to Blizzard. And then after being there for, I think, only four years, maybe, 
um he basically after um the the barcelona gig like the, the non-stop festival he, he he put his resignation in and he left blizzard because he was like i'm getting too comfortable again and i was like holy shit so yeah, it's, it's definitely something I think somebody said years ago, if you're if you're the best person in the room, it's time to leave. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, and here's here's the thing. Uh I forgot to mention this because and and there was this uh I'm not sure if it was a problem out of culture or if it was a problem about the, the society at that point in time. Right. Yeah. But at, when I was younger, I had far too much people telling me what I could not do yeah. and what I could possibly do. So I found myself at one point, my, my driving, uh, my, you know, my, my, my driving, my, um, my personal motivation was to prove everybody else wrong. Okay. And so I started to do what, so I, I developed that mindset. I was like, what can I do? Okay. So I remember, oh, comics in Portugal. You're never going to do tra- draw comics in Portugal. Video games. Are you crazy? No Portuguese works in video games. And nowadays, well, things are a bit different. And of course. And it's good because if you're if you don't know what's impossible, <laughs> you don't care about it. You just do it and the, yeah. or find a way to do it, which is good. So you just you know it's it's your thing. The the the, the only really good advice I give to anyone is just do whatever makes you happy, because. Yeah. If you you have to invest, it, it, it well, it doesn't mean you won't have to do a specific task that you might consider maniacal for a while because it's a stepping stone. Or, or I need to get back and I I need to do a little bit of this just to get a bit of income. Yeah, of uh, and and and, and I, I told you, um, so I, I've worked a lot of different jobs at one point. So I did. Uh, Advertising. I did uh, point of sale events. I did facial painting. I did voice acting. I did. I I've, I served at counters in in, in bars and uh, coffee shops. I've done. I've teach. I, I I've I've done reenactment. I've been into movies. Uh, so, and all these things at one point or another help because it's another pool of experience another pool of personal history that you can get when you're trying to create something and it's it's something that when 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 kids are uh, or students ask me oh what do i think is the most profitable way to go about my uh, career i said well the most profitable way to go about your career is the the one that gives you more jo- pleasure out of it you know mm. Because if it won't be, it won't be of any importance if you get like a high-paying job, and you just want to kill yourself every single day because you're doing something that it's just not you. Yeah. So, of course. where's that? Uh, there was this uh, that saying that um, instability is hard, but stability is even harder. So it's something like that. I'm not, I don't remember. Yeah, I mean, like, I know what you're trying to say, because like, a lot of people will, um, like, even Shinsano, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, games must pay this, and oh, we get to get a job in this, because this, because then you get this money. And I've heard that, you know, I've heard the guys at Blizzard earn, um, you know, a hundred or thousand dollars a year. And, and uh, but then, like, you know, everybody I know who works at Blizzard, their first concern with the job wasn't how much they were going to earn. It was yeah. working at Blizzard. You know what I mean? So, like, you should, yeah. you should be making art for the point. You want to be an artist, not because you want to be rich. Because let me just flat out say this: 
you ain't gonna be rich ever being an artist. <laughs> Unless you own, unless you own your own company, you you know you sell off your own IP, something like that. You've been super lucky, or you have like a an amazing patron like Saki Machan or something like that. Then sure, like they're the they're the rare exceptions, but know the rule because even like you know, uh, you know the the, the wages that even the guys at Blizzard earn is also um, comparable to where they live. They live in California, so like living in California is fucking expensive. So yeah, yeah of course that's why they have some really attractive wages, but then. Yeah, like the guys I know, like Jamaro and stuff, and 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 John Polidori, who went to you know Riot eventually. These guys were in the industry because they loved the industry itself and making art and making games. It wasn't because they wanted to earn any great sums of money in the industry. So, yeah, yeah if students want to get in it for money, I'm saying you know you're definitely getting in it. Their own. And I mean, I'm not going to tell a lie. When I first got in it, I was exactly the same. I was also attracted to the money. I was also attracted to the lifestyle um but then i remember back like way way back one of my first things that made me want to even be a comic artist was watching videos of jim lee um sketching batman and stuff at comic cons and people standing in line waiting for him to sketch and then he would you know he would shake their hand afterwards they get a little photo with him and it was more like i loved the attention knowing like a self-involved way but i just wanted to feel the importance of people saying oh your art's awesome because I, I would just, you know, the first kind of Comic Cons I went to when I'd done art for people, like, I wasn't charging anything. I was just happy to sit there and, like, draw something for somebody and give it to them and be like, oh, this is really cool. Thank you very much. You know, because, like, I just wanted to feel like people appreciated what I was what I was doing, my, my art form. So, um, so, yeah, like, I mean, money came at one point, but initially it was literally just for the thrill of people enjoying my art. I'm going, I'm going to tell you a little secret. Uh, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but... Uh... I have a problem with social anxiety. So <laughs> it's, it's it, for example, the first time I went to THU, just the idea of being in a, on a, on a cove with, I don't know, hundreds of artists and I had to talk with everybody else. It was sh- fucking scary for me. Okay. It yeah. was, it's a problem. Mm-hmm. So one of the reasons I started drawing was it was, it ended up becoming a way for me to communicate with others. You know, to 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 break that um, that first layer of communication of interaction. Because what happened was, I sit down. I always enjoy drawing, of course, but I would sit down and start drawing. Mm-hmm. And then at one point, uh, when I went, I got to a new uh, class or something, mm-hmm. and and my my classmates would start watching me draw, mm-hmm. and they they start to talk with me. So I it forced me to reply back okay so and and i always enjoy telling stories because it's 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 basically well like i told you my dad's an actor and everything else so it, it's kind of in the family because my dad's an actor but i have two uh, my my two aunts and my uncle are both are all writers and so the storytelling is a very big thing in our family so i was the first to really go on uh or in a more visual aspect of it but so it i i just wanted to communicate communicate with people to show them things and make them um uh make something they could look and see oh this is this is something different you know that and and and, and, and it starts pull on the dialogue for example i i told you about those 600 cues i make I made for for Miniclip. So one of the questions I had, even within the company, said, "How the hell do you keep doing these things? They all come out so different from each other." I said, well, I have a history for each one of them. I have a story. 
you know i i, I create a context i create and part of my and my pleasure was to go uh, to see um the feedback from the users and to see how they relate with the things and if they, they they were able to figure out the the hints of everything i placed there and it was so so rewarding you know it's not, and it was not about the money. It was like you said, it was seeing people actually enjoying what you do, yeah. and that's the best part. For example, the the even with all the bruises being like the yellow sentai last year, and oh, the tumblings and the screamings and whatever, but seeing the people just crying out, laughing in the stage when I was, you know, from the audience, it was like the best thing ever. Of course, it, yeah. It, it, it that's what that's what drives me, you know, to to make things that people enjoy and and sink their teeth in. So that's that's my that's my goal. So and if if for for whatever reason it's not getting there anymore, or I feel that it has to be done in a different way, so I'm that's I'm going to follow it because I actually had a really pretty secure job where I uh, I used to work, and the pay was not that bad and. Especially in considering, you know, Portuguese standards. Uh, but I got to a point that I, well, I need to do something different. So, no, you, you need to be honest with yourself because, yeah. Yeah, like you said, you could be there, you could be comfortable, but then at the same time, you know, you're wanting to grow, you're wanting to change your outcome and think what's the next step. And and then I think to get that perspective, you really need to step back from what you're doing, yeah. um, and then have a really good look inward and it's one of the sayings we have across here is that you can't see the forest for the trees. And it's very true yeah. that, you know, unless you're standing at a good distance, you can't really see what the next step or where the path leads next. And, and, and yeah, I totally agree that um, sometimes you need to have that thing where you leave and, and it can be scary, but then if you are good enough, you know, which you are, of course, um, you will find opportunities come. And then the, I say, you say, you know, you've kind of left and stuff, but you are still working for, for Lego. So, yeah, um, I'm, I'm actually doing a lot of stuff, uh, not just for for Lego. It's, it's for a lot of different people. I've been doing, I've been doing some. Ah, oh, I, I can't tell it yet. <laughs> no, of course, yeah. <laughs> the end yeah. stuff is always a, a bummer, yeah. but yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I, I've been, and that gives me once again. It's like I'm doing different things. I'm doing things that I was not expecting uh, to do uh, at all. Um, with after, uh, it's like. When they say that the stars align, you know, the same week I, I, I it was like I didn't announce it to anybody that I was leaving the company. Yeah. But suddenly a lot of things just started raining into my mailbox. <laughs> so I started doing planning a lot of things for different months. But, but, but it gives me the chance of doing all those different things I want to do. Um, so, yeah, it's just you got to go with your phone man you got to do what's what's best for you and it, i was actually uh, i shared the conversation the the previous day uh, it was an alan watts conversation that life is not a journey so basically it was talking it does not it's not it doesn't matter what what's your end goal it's what you do in the middle you know so the destination it's the journey yeah exactly yeah it's it's what you do, man. You're like, I've done so many different things in my life. Hopefully, I'm not going to die so soon. But if, <laughs> I can I can pretty much tell you that if for some reason uh, something would happen, hopefully not, knock on wood, 
but if if something happened and I was being my you know my deathbed and thinking about it, and I said, well, I'm pretty sad because I won't see what's going to happen after this, mm-hmm. but damn, it was worth it. Every single moment, of it, it was worth it. Yeah. No, it's cool, man. No, totally agree, a hundred percent. I think it's you've hit the nail on the head. It's 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 exactly the the same way I feel. Is that you know life's fucking short. You know it's yeah. here for living, so you may as well fucking love it. So yeah, I agree, man. I agree. So um, thank you for coming on, Felipe. Uh, My pleasure. It's been awesome chatting with you. Um, thanks to everybody who's listened or who's tuned in. Um, again, if you're on YouTube or any other service, we're on multiple places, all the podcast services ever. That will be here spotify itunes soundcloud um acast all that kind of stuff we're also on youtube uh streaming some video as well if you want to see it in that way um show some of felipe's lovely artworks on there um i'll leave all his links below if you want to leave any comments for felipe down below i'll make sure that he gets them and he can respond to them also on youtube um and yeah just uh just heads up guys stay tuned and we'll have more shit coming in the future um thanks again to felipe and i'll speak to you guys later bye